excited that you did. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Nate, and I, I serve as the executive pastor here, and it, it truly is my greatest honor to serve on behalf of our pastors, and we as a church at Substance, we have such a heart to help church planters, and, and just so you know, as you give here, as you sow into serving here, we help church churches literally all over the globe plant every single week, and uh, one of those church plants is coming up in Franklin, Tennessee on February 25th. It's, it's called Citizens Church. I am so so excited about this because one of my closest friends is the one planting this church and is someone that you've heard of many times. Jason Laird has spoke here. He's truly become a family member of ours. He's someone who's literally uh, preached here several times a year. Uh, I hope he'll keep preaching here. That's that's the hope. Uh, but you're planting. You're coming up in February. And we're just so excited. I, I, I wanted to jump up and just let you know about it because uh, we don't just have random people come in to speak to you. We have people that walk in divine flow, that walk in the same uh, direction as our lead pastors that we have relationships with. We're also, Pastor Peter and Carolyn are going to be overseers of this church, so we got to make sure they do the right things and behave. That's another thing. And uh, uh, I'm just excited about this plant. It's been uh, in the works for several years now, and through prayer and consideration, Jason and his family have decided it's time to start a brand new life-giving church in Franklin, Tennessee. It is starting on February 25th. I want to invite you, if you have family, friends, people that you know, if you're moving there, this is the church to be a part. This is a church that I just believe that God has his hand on because he has his hand on this family. Uh, Jason, your family, it, every single one of them are just amazing people you are a man of faith, a man of integrity, a family of character, and I just know that God is going to use you to do supernatural things through your anointing in the territory of Franklin. It needs more life-giving churches, and God has sent you there on mission, and I just want you to know Substance Church is fully behind you. We are committed to serve the vision and be a part of all that God is doing as we continue to expand the territories of the kingdom of God around the globe, and you've done that so well. And just, we're just excited to celebrate uh, this, this beginning, this birthing season that you're in. I know it's scary. I know that it comes with risk, but that risk is built on faith, and God is going to use you to do something that is so supernatural. Um, we just wanna be witnesses of that. So Substance Church, can you stand to your feet and help, help me welcome my friend, Jason Laird, as he brings the word today. Come on, I want you to give Jesus your best praise. Hey, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. I, I just got to tell you, um, it's cold uh, here. And I was telling Nate uh, right during worship, I was like, this is the most hardcore church I've ever been to. In Tennessee, it's like cloudy and people are like, I don't know if we should go to church today. You guys, it's like sub 50 here. Uh, my nose froze whenever I walked out of my hotel, but um, it is so good to be here with you, and uh, I love this church so very much. I love your pastors. Um, how many of you love your pastors here? <laughs> I'm so grateful for really the last few years um, that I've gotten to, to become really close with, with this church, with all of you, and, and with your pastors, and this church has really, I think, was divinely um, by the hand of God, uh, he connected our family to this house uh, in a very um, vulnerable season, season of transition. How many know transition sometimes can be very vulnerable, very uncertain, and all those things? And, and God used you and your pastors 
to, to really be family for us in a season where, to be candid, you know, traveling all around, it was the first time I ever didn't have necessarily or, or wasn't necessarily pastoring at a local church, but for about three years now, um, felt like I've kind of lived out of a suitcase. And I don't know if you ever felt like that before when you just feel uns- a little bit like you don't, you're not planted somewhere, traveling every weekend, but every time I came here, I always felt like I was going home. And, it, and it, it's just been so good for, for my soul. And even to see, I mean, there's been times I've been so jealous. I'm like hanging out with the staff and they're all like back in the back between services, having fun. I'm like, oh, I wish I had that, you know. And, um, but we're gonna have that in Jesus' name. And um, this church has just been such a blessing. You've been such a blessing to us. And Carolyn and Pastor Peter, I, I just, I love you guys so much. You guys, you may or may not know this, you've already invested in our church plant. Uh, you've been investing in our family the last couple of years, but you've already invested and sowed some seeds into our church plant that's gonna help us launch a life-giving church like Substance to serve the people there. And uh, I just wanna say this on behalf of our family and on behalf of the people that have already joined our team, lives that have already been impacted by your generosity, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that you show up every week, you tithe, you give over and above, you give in that end of the year offering and all these things just because you have a, a heart for the kingdom of God. And because of that, on this house, we're going to be able to serve people, see people saved, healed, set free, made whole, see marriages restored, see people healed, see, see people step into their calling, and you're a part of that. So thank you so much, church. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for what God's already done through you. All right, you can be seated. Um, so grateful for you. Last night, I stayed up with Pastor Peter for a little bit. We just talked about the Bible, and it is it is so inspiring and mind-blowing. Like, I feel dumb when I'm around Pastor Peter. I'm just like, how does he know all of this stuff? I'm like, I need to go back to school or something. But uh, I love his passion for the word. I love his passion for you and Pastor Carolyn's passion for you. And uh, it's so good to get to be here with you. Bring greetings on behalf of my family. And uh, I know every time I show you pictures and it's because I'm proud of my family and I love my family. So I'm gonna show you these pictures in case I haven't met you yet. Uh, this is my wife, Jennifer, and our three kids. Where is it at? It's somewhere up here. I think they're gonna throw it up here in just a second. But um, our, my wife, Jennifer, and I, we've been married now for 18 years. Uh, going on 19 years in May, we've been dating for 26 years. And uh, we have three amazing children. Our oldest, Liam, he's 14 years old. And uh, it's interesting when your kids start getting older. Uh, The other day I was in my study and I was reading my Bible. It was early in the morning and my son spent the night out in the neighborhood at a friend's house. And I'm sitting there reading my Bible, just trying to build my faith, get encouraged as a church planner, get vision. And I see my son, my 14-year-old, walking down the sidewalk, coming up the steps. And I had this thought. How many more days will I see my son coming home like that? And I was depressed. <laughs> like, I'm supposed, to be, I'm supposed to be getting encouraged in here, you know. But, but man, I'm so proud of him. He's a little athlete. He loves Jesus. Uh, he, he told me, he said, Dad, I'll be praying for you while you're there at Substance. He loves coming here. Uh, he loves Nate every time we see Nate. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he loves his church. But then we have our, our second son, Nixon. I'm going to talk about him maybe a little bit in the middle of our message but Nixon is 11 years old. Uh, he's, he's a basketball player, baseball player. I mean, all the sports, everything. And he's, and he's so smart. He's the smartest person in our family. He'll say stuff to me like, Dad, he was like, did you know? And he'll say something, and I'm like, I don't know about that. And I'll Google it, and I'm like, oh, okay, he's smarter than me. You know, but he's our creative. He's, he's very intelligent. And then we have our daughter, Novi Sophia. She's four and a half, and I uh, love her so much. People told me, they're like, when you have a daughter, you're going to love her more than those boys. I'm like, there's no way that's possible. It's true. It, it, it is. It just is. The other day she goes, Dad, 
She goes, are you thinking what I'm thinking? She does this, daddy, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm like, depends on what you're thinking. And she's like, daddy, daughter, day. And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, what do you wanna do? We can do anything, what do you wanna do? She was like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. We're gonna go to PetSmart and look at the fish and hamsters. Then we're gonna go to, this is no good. She says, then we're gonna go to Target and buy something special. Then we're gonna get ice cream. And then we're gonna finish the day dancing. And I said, oh, really? What are we gonna dance to? She goes, I wanna dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. <laughs> that awesome? Oh, man. So anyway, that's my family. If you have your Bibles, go with me over to Lamentations chapter three. What a peculiar uh, book to, to read at the beginning of a year. Um, but I've been kind of chewing on these verses that I wanna read to you. And they really encouraged me as a church planner, as someone believing God in 2024. How many, how many of you are believing God for something significant in 2024, amen? You're believing God to do something, you know, maybe a miracle in your life or maybe it's something you've been believing for for a while. Well, I'm believing for some stuff. And so this scripture I've been revisiting on and on and on again. Um, but here's the question I wanna start out before we read the text. Was there something that you were hoping for in 2023 that you did not experience? Was there something that you, you were believing for? Maybe you journaled about or you, maybe you even committed to prayer in that 21 days of prayer and fasting and at the beginning of, of last year, but you did not see it come to pass in 2023. You know, I would imagine that there's all of us in here were hoping for something in our life. Maybe it's a miracle that you're believing for. Maybe it's a companion. Uh, maybe it's a healing in your body or a job. Maybe it's a home, a lost family member to be saved. Maybe it's freedom in a particular area of your life. We all have something that we're hoping for. And, and my question is, that thing that you were hoping for in 2023 that maybe did not come to pass, if you were to rate it on a scale from one to 10, remove the seven because seven's a neutral number. <laughs> one being you have lost your hope for that thing, or 10, man, your faith is stirred, you're believing God, and you're just, man, you know it's gonna happen this year. Where would you stand? Scale from one to 10, remove the seven. For the marriage, for the restoration, for the freedom, for the breakthrough financially, for the healing, for the prodigal to come home, one to 10, where would you be today? Where is your hope at? Where is your faith at today? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a hopeless situation or what seemed like a hopeless situation? I've got some friends of mine that we pastored in San Francisco and I get a call the other day. Nathan is traveling with me. We, we're driving down the road and, and we end up getting this phone call that their name's Bob and Teresa Nelson, that Bob has been diagnosed with stage four cancer in his esophagus. It's not looking good. They feel like they're in a hopeless situation. As a pastor, what do you say to someone in, in a situation that seems hopeless like that? Because you don't wanna give them false hope or try to hype them up. What they need is maybe you to sit there and just to be there and to listen. But as a pastor, I wanna give Bob hope. I, I, I wanna tell him, quote scriptures, and I wanna build his faith. But, but what do you do when you feel like you're facing something hopeless like that? I talked to his wife, Teresa, and she said, you know what, Jason? She goes, when I read my Bible, God heals people. And I choose that I'm gonna have hope that God's gonna heal Bob. She goes, if God can't do miracles, then maybe I shouldn't believe in God. She goes, I know God can do miracles. And so I choose to have hope until the day Bob breathes his last breath on this earth. What do you do when you're facing situations like that? I read this quote once, it said, you can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without oxygen, but only moments without hope. 
Where can we find hope when we feel like giving up on that which we've been hoping for and praying for and believing for? The great news is the Bible is filled with people just like you and I, humans just like you and I, that find themselves oftentimes believing for something, hoping for something that's not yet a reality, even sometimes facing hopeless situations, and yet there's, there, we see throughout the biblical narrative there are these, the people of God that find themselves in those situations, and yet they discover hope in the middle of those places. And so today, I want us to look at a particular passage that sets us up to really begin to find some principles and lessons that can help us when we're holding on to hope. Lamentations is... Such an incredible book of the Bible. If you look at it, most uh, scholars believe that the, the prophet Jeremiah, that he penned uh, the book of Lamentations. We don't really use that word much, right? Lamentations or lamenting. No one's like, I'm lamenting today because of the weather. Like no one, some of you are like, no, I said that this morning when I walked outside. I am lamenting the weather. No one really uses that lamentation. But what are, what are lamentations? They're passionate expressions of grief or sorrow. That's what lamentations that's what that means. But Lamentations, it's, it's one book, but it's five chapters written by what's believed to be Jeremiah. Those five chapters are five chapters of, of, of expressing grief and sorrow. They're laments. They're lamenting. Uh, many people call it the, the, these five chapters the, the, these poems of lamentations. It's, it's literally, it's a poetic way that it's been written. And it's lamenting and it's, it's grieving in a, in, a, in a way that is, is not just being negative or complaining, but it's, it's processing loss before God. And when you look at the context here, this is what it is. It's, it's Jerusalem has been ransacked by Babylon. They've completely torn apart the temple. And the temple was so central to the people of God. And Jerusalem is lying in ruins, a city that was once known as the greatest among all nations. It was very prosperous. It was beautiful, gorgeous, beautiful city walls that, 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 that created like a refuge for the people. I mean, it was known by everyone all over, all the surrounding nations as it's a place of strength, a place of prosperity, it's a beautiful place, it's a thriving place, and yet when Babylon comes in, they completely destroy it, and now you have the people of God that are lamenting the fact that their city is in ruins, and they feel like there is no hope to ever have it restored or redeemed to its previous glory. Chapter one is lamenting. Chapter two, lamenting. Chapter three, lamenting. Chapter four, lamenting. Chapter five, it is five chapters that could almost seem a bit depressing when you read it. It's five chapters where they're processing their loss and what feels like there is no hope in front of them. Now, when you look at this, this is actually a situation that has been brought about by their own rebellion and God is now allowing them to experience consequences. But let me tell you this, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are self-inflicted it is because of our rebellion or bad decisions, but oftentimes it's just the plight of humanity. It's the human experience that we find ourselves in situations where we feel hopeless or we feel like our back's against the wall and it's just life. I don't understand it fully and there's gonna come a day when you'll stand before God and maybe you'll have a good conversation with him and you'll be able to process and figure out why life was challenging in particular areas that were not self-inflicted by, you know, by yourself. But, but, but for all of us, at some point, whether or not if it's self-inflicted hopelessness or it's just the plight of humanity and your experience, you can find hope even in those moments. And so that is the backdrop. And then you find this, chapter one, lament, chapter two, lament, chapter three, lament, but in the middle of chapter three, the writer says this, we've lost it all, we don't feel like God's hearing our prayers, we feel far from God, it feels hopeless, it feels, we feel so desperate, we don't know what the future's gonna hold, and then in, in verse 21, yet 
I still dare to hope. I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. In other words, our situation seems uncertain. It seems dark. And the outcome seems like it's not in our favor. Yet, I dare to hope. Never been there before? The future's uncertain, circumstances aren't looking good, no sign of things changing on the horizon, the diagnosis is not a favorable one. I've been waiting for years for this to happen. It's still, I still haven't been healed yet, I'm still dealing with this addiction, I still haven't gotten married yet, I still haven't had the kid yet, yet, I dare to hope. I remember whenever we first felt called to plant churches, plural, churches, it was in 2000. 24 years ago, felt called to plant churches. Then in 20, 2016, actually 2013, we moved to Dallas, Texas, went on staff at a church called Gateway Church, and we told them we feel called to go plant a church, and it'll be the first church of many churches that we're gonna plant, and so we wanna come here for two years. Two years turned into four years, but I remember on year three, laying in the bed one night, and I was so discouraged because this dream had been in my heart, this hope to plant a church and to lead and to build. It started in 2000 and now here we are. It's like 2015, 2016 and I'm laying in my bed and it just feels like it's never gonna happen. I look over at Jennifer, my wife, and I said, babe, I was like, I just feel so discouraged. Like I wanna give up hope. I don't think we're ever gonna plant. I don't know what to do. And she said, well, I know what you need to do. You need to talk to God about that, sounds like because I'm going to bed, <laughs> and she rolled over. So much empathy, so much compassion. Thanks, babe, thanks. I began to pray, and I said, God, my heart is hurting. I feel like, I, I just feel like sick. I just feel so depressed, to be honest, and he, the Lord reminded me of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. In other words, when your hope is deferred or delayed, it creates the potential of your heart to be negatively affected. And I felt like the Lord said, Jason, your heart is sick because the thing you've been hoping for feels delayed and deferred. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to guard your heart and your spirit in this season as you wait. He said, Jason, the, the, the hope that you have, he goes, that's on me, but I need you to take care of your heart and your spirit as you wait. I need, you to, I need you to watch your spirit. Don't you go into that office, that gateway, all negative and critical and cynical and pouting and victimizing yourself. Listen, the longer you wait, the larger you become. I'm doing something in you, Jason. Guard your heart. Guard your spirit while you wait. What do we do when we feel like we're losing hope? Here's three propositions from the text. Point number one, write this down. I'll show you where I get it from. Hope can be experienced in the middle. Somebody say in the middle. Hope can be experienced in the middle of a hopeless situation. Think about this, think about this. There are five chapters in Lamentations. In the very middle of the book is chapter three. And in the very middle of chapter three is verse 21. 
You know what that tells me? It's, it's as if the sovereign hand of God, see, Jeremiah didn't write this, the Holy Spirit did. It's as if God wanted to drop a little strategic encouragement right sandwiched in the middle of grief and loss and hopelessness. He wanted to just, just kind of put it right there in the middle that you can have hope in the middle of what seems like a very hopeless situation. I believe that that's what God was trying to do. Is like, Jason, here's the point he's trying to make. Hope is not something that's discovered. It's actually something that's decided. You decide to have hope. You decide, I'm going to hope in my God. I'm going to have faith and trust in God. Faith is not a feeling. It's a decision. Hope is not a feeling. It's not something that we just stumble into. We make a decision. I will hope. That's why the writer says over and over, I will hope. I will hope. I will hope. I will hope in the middle of this situation. I love that. He says this, you notice what Jeremiah says. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope. You know what your will is? It's the seat of your, of your, of, of your decision-making. You ever had a kid that they, uh, they have, they're, they're, they're just, their will is just so, they're strong-willed? What does that mean? It's a nice way of saying they're rebellious. Right? <laughs> they make their own decisions. See, your will is the seat of your decision-making. I, I will go to work today. I will not, and you'll be fired. I will wake up today. I will go to church today. What are you doing? You make decisions in that, that seat of your will. And he's saying, here's the thing I've discovered is that I have to determine and I have to make the decision where I'm going to place my hope. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. Look at this, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him, so it is good. The Lord is good, so it is good. The Lord is good, somebody needs to catch that. The Lord is good, that is, that, is, that, is, that is having the right view of God. God is good, therefore, no matter if it looks bad, it is good because he is good. Therefore, I will hope. I will dare to hope. In other words, Jeremiah, he decided that, that he still had hope, why? Because he still had God. He still had God. I love the, the think about this, I love where he says, um, I will hope, I will hope, I will hope. And then he says, for you, Lord, you were my portion. You were my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope. That is Levitical covenantal language. You were my portion. You were my inheritance. Let me, let me show you this. And remember when God was distributing land and, 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 and territory to the tribes? He's like, this tribe, you get all this land. This tribe, you get this land. You, this tribe, this is your portion. You get this land. He gets to the Levites. He goes, you don't get any land. I am your portion. You don't, you don't get territory. I am your inheritance. Is that enough? Let me ask you this question. What if God never gives you that which you hope for, but he says, I will be your portion? God, I, I want to get married. I am your portion. God, we've dealt with infertility and we, the deepest desire of our heart is to have a little baby. And he says, I know, and it breaks my heart, but there's something bigger. I paint on a canvas much larger than you can ever imagine. I am your portion, trust me. Am I enough? I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I've had things I've prayed for and I've been like, God, I need you to do this. And he's like, I need you to trust me. But God, you don't know. And he's like, I, I am your portion, let me be enough. The, David said it like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I want. 
Lord, you're my portion. What if you never get that what you hope for? I hope you get it. I hope the thing you've been praying for that you get it in 2024, but what if you don't? What if you don't in 2024? What if you don't in 2025? Listen, the Lord will still be your portion. And you may not have that thing that you want, but you will have Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is your portion. You can choose hope in the middle of a situation, a hopeless situation. Let me show you this. I'm going to show you a picture before they put it up. If you can't handle heart, like, like uh, rough pictures, like don't, don't look. But it's a picture of my son, my son Nixon. Uh, he was diagnosed at an early age with severe eczema, severe eczema. And uh, it has been a struggle for years, uh, for probably eight years. And, you know, you're only as happy as your saddest child. Right? You've heard people say that. <clears throat> and it's just been so hard. And I, I want him to show this picture. Um, his skin would get so bad. And this would be from the top. I, I, I asked him, I was like, son, can I show these pictures? He goes, yeah, just don't show my booty, daddy. <laughs> so he said. But he would, he, would, he would scratch so bad in the middle of the night that when I'd go to wake him up in the morning for school, his bed would just have blood everywhere. His sheets were covered with blood to the point where we had to stop buying white sheets and buy dark sheets. And so he'd wake up irritable in the morning because he couldn't sleep, restless, scratching all night long, scratching his face. He, for years, he had no eyebrows, scratched his eyebrows off his face. Uh, as you can imagine, kids are ruthless at school, bullied. I mean, it's terrible. And every night I'd go in his bed and I'd sit on the side of his bed. I've done it for years and I would pray a prayer for healing. And I remember one night him looking at me saying, why do you do that? So why do you do that, Dad? I said, why do I do what? He said, why do you pray and keep asking for the same thing? It has not happened. We've been in the middle of this for a long time. He was like, just stop. What do you do when your kid tells you that? And I said, son, I will pray for your healing every day for the rest of my life if I have to. And I will choose every day, no matter how bad it looks, that we will have hope that if God has healed other people, he can heal you. Fast forward years later, I didn't know why we moved away from San Francisco. I didn't know how we ended up in Nashville. It was just so like, we're just following God. We get to Nashville. We have been declined so many times by our insurance company for medical care for him, specific drugs that we've heard would work and would help, and we've been declined and declined and declined. One of these drugs was four to $6,000 a month. Decline, decline, and you feel hopeless. I can't afford that, I'm a pastor got to win the lottery or something. I mean, like, how do I pay for this? We get to Nashville. We go to the first, like, doctor's appointment, and this lady has compassion at the front desk. She goes, your insurance company won't cover this? She goes, that's not right. She goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do what someone did for me. You never know how God's going to connect you to someone. And she goes, I will get the samples of this medication for as long as we need to. And every two weeks, you just pay for the fee to come in, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and we're gonna give him his shots. Now put this other picture up, up here of him. Do you have the other picture? This is like, he's just so, like, he's, he's like, I'm a stud now, like, I'm all looking good, you know? Listen, the miracle came in a different way than what I expected. But you know what? I can, I can celebrate, and it's a great story right now, but we had to choose hope in the middle of it. We, we had to say, God, right in the middle of it. It's like, it's easy to have hope and to have faith on the other side. But what about in the middle of it? 
Listen, you can have hope in the middle. I came here to encourage somebody. In the middle of the diagnosis, you can choose hope. In the middle of infertility, you can choose hope. In the middle of losing your job, you can choose hope. In the middle of the lawsuit, you can choose hope. In the middle of the loneliness, you can choose hope. In the middle of the breakup, you can choose hope. In the middle, God will meet you in the middle. And that's why David said, even when I walk through, you are with me. In the middle of it, you're with me. Listen, if you have Jesus, you can choose hope today. Here's the second thing I think the text reminds us is this, is that hope remembers the faithfulness of God. Look how many times God had to tell his people, hey, remember, remember, don't forget, don't forget, remember. I mean, Jesus had to even say, guys, listen, you have such a bad memory. Here's some bread, here's some wine. Remember me, please, don't forget me. Like, y'all have such a bad memory. If I don't give you some food and a little juice, you're going to forget a brother. It's so easy. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to forget how good God's been? It's so easy to forget. Usually it's when we get into the next situation, we panic and we forget about the previous situations. And we forget God was, he was there. He provided, he, he delivered, he, he did. And the, this was the story of the children of Israel. They would forget. They would forget. They had to constantly be rem- reminded. That's why, look at Jeremiah, what he said in Lamentations 3. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember. When you remember what? The faithful, underline that faithful, the faithful love of the Lord never ends, never ends. Faithful never ends, never ceases. Great it is. The whole thing is like, guys, if you want to have hope in the middle, you got you to gotta wake up your memory and remember that God's been faithful. He was faithful. When I had spinal meningitis, he was faithful and healed me. When I overdosed, he was faithful and he brought me back to life. When I couldn't provide for my family for housing in San Francisco, planning a church, someone showed up with a $50,000 check. He was faithful. Didn't make sense. And so when I get in the middle of church planning right now and I look and I'm facing uncertainty and I don't have a building and I don't have this, I go, but God, you've been faithful. You gotta remember he's been faithful to you. You gotta remember he saved you. He delivered you. He he, he healed you. He brought that key relationship. He gave you a church family. He's been faithful, church. I love love this, this thing I read once. I don't know if it's true or conjecture or what, but There's, you know, in Psalms 23 where it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love that verse, but I've never understood it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I think about my parents, their rod and their staff did not comfort me. (laughs) (laughs) David said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, There was a commentary I read years ago that said that it was believed, it's believed that the, the, the ancient East Jewish shepherds that believed in Yahweh, their God, when, when, when something happened that felt like God was faithful to them, uh, maybe finding a lost sheep, uh, defeating uh, a predator, uh, finding new territory and, 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 and land to graze their, their, uh, their herd, that what they would do is they would, in their downtime, they, they would take their rod or their staff and they would take uh, something to carve and they would carve these notches on the staff or the rod with icons and emblems that were reminders of how Yahweh was faithful. 
And that when they came into other situations where they were discouraged, they felt isolated, they felt hopeless, they felt like, I don't know how this is going to happen. We've lost more sheep. We cannot find land. They literally would take their hand, like their thumb, and they would just, they would, they would go across that carving, that emblem of the faithfulness of Yahweh, and it would bring comfort to them. He did it before. He'll do it again. Some of you just need to put some kind of little emblem. You need to write a little sticky note. You need to put something around you so when you feel discouraged, you can go, oh, I remember that time. He was faithful. See, he, he, he has been faithful, church, to us. He also says numerous times in the text, um, I will, I will say to myself. I, he, he continues to say, I'm gonna say this to myself. Have you ever felt crazy because you talk to yourself? How many of you in here, you drive down the road and you talk to yourself? By yourself? Turn to your neighbor and say, I promise I'm not crazy. <laughs> Jeremiah says, I say this to myself. This is actually, it puts you in good company. If you've been thinking you're crazy, you are a little bit, but, but you're in good company. Look at this. David, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, we won't read it for the sake of time, when he loses everything. His wife, his children, their, their village is ransacked. All of his military men, they lose their wives, they lose their kids, they lose all their possessions. And, and even the men in his military, they look at him and they say, we want to kill you. He has, he's lost everything, even his faithful men. And what does it say he does? He encourages himself in the Lord. He's got no one else to encourage him. He's like, I'll encourage myself. Sometimes the person that I preach to the most is myself. I'll get in my car, I'll start quoting scriptures. I'll start, man, I'm telling you, I'm like my own hype man. Y'all remember wrestling back in the day, WWE, WWF? Always like Randy Savage roll up and they had that little short dude that's like, you got this, you got this, you got, you gonna hurt everybody. So I'm that for myself. I'm my own hype man. I will speak to myself. David said in Psalm 42, he says, why? look how he's speaking to himself, his own soul. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. It's like he's rebuking his soul. Put your hope in God, for I will praise, I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In other words, David is speaking to his soul and his emotions and his decision making, and he's telling his soul, you better get in alignment with who God is. I will not be led by you. So he speaks to his soul. You're gonna praise him. Your pra his praise will continually be on my lips. He's speaking to himself. Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. There it is again. Forget not. He's got a memory. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all his iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Soul, we may be facing this, but soul... You will bless God. Soul, you will still put your faith and hope in God. I know what's surrounding us, but soul, listen, you're not gonna lead. I'm going to lead you into the place where we put trust and hope in God. He's speaking to himself. Here's a good one for you. Lamentations 3, 23, back to the text. It says, his mercies begin afresh. Each morning, comma, I say to myself, stop right there. Here's a good practice. Each morning, say to yourself, each morning, say to yourself, he is faithful. Each morning, say to yourself, God's been good. Each morning, say to yourself, my soul, you're gonna praise him, you're gonna bless him. Each morning, every morning, speak to yourself. Let your spouse come in the room and be like, who are you talking to? I'm talking to my soul. 
I'm speaking to myself. Give me my space. I got to speak to myself. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. Third and final one I got to hurry up is this. Hope, trust that if we're still waiting, God's still working. That thing that you're hoping for, if you're still waiting, here's what I know. God's still working. He's still working. Verse 25 in Lamentations 3. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. It's a prerequisite. To those who search for him. They seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. He says, while you wait, I want you to put in some work. See, you work while you wait. You don't just wait, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord. No, 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 you work while you wait. Seek God, fast, pray, get in the word. You know where hope comes from? When you start getting the word in you. It begins to build hope. Psalmist talks about that. Get your word in me, builds hope. While you wait, you work. While you wait on the spouse, put in the work. Seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's what you're doing. More than the provision from God, you're seeking him as your portion. God, I just, I'm coming after you. You'll take care of all that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. They're gonna work themselves out. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek you. I'm gonna wait on you. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna speak to my soul. We're gonna get in alignment with, you, with who you are, God. We're gonna declare your nature and your character. We're gonna declare your track record. God, I'm just gonna seek you. I'm gonna pursue you. And one day, I'm gonna look up and I'm gonna say either one, thank you, God, for doing that which I asked for, or thank you, God, that even though you didn't, I know you're doing something even greater in me and be at a place of peace with him. So you gotta work while you wait. But notice he says this, wait quietly. Why does he put that in there? Wait quietly, what does that even mean? My, my guess, my assumption is this, is when he says wait quietly is this, oftentimes when we wait, it's easy to grumble and complain, to victimize ourselves. I've done it, I have so done it. He says, no, 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 seek God, wait quietly. You see, patience is not your ability to wait. Patience is your ability to have a good spirit and a good attitude while you wait. He says, I want you to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now here, let me tell you this. Hope does not ignore your disappointment or feelings for the deferred or delayed hope and expectation. See, lamenting and processing your disappointments with God is a very good and healthy thing, but biblical healthy lamenting always turns towards God and not inward. When you read all of the lamenting in the book of Psalms, it is honesty, and God can handle your honesty. I'm upset, I'm disappointed, I've, I'm lonely, I'm, I'm in, I cry myself to sleep at night, God. God, where are you? But at the end, but God, I trust you, and I don't understand it, God. I don't understand why I'm facing this, but God, I, I put my hope in you. I trust you, God. We do not turn inward, we turn upward. That's what lamenting truly is, when there's been grief or when there's been loss. Finally, Psalm 27, he says this, while you wait, he says, here's what I've learned through it all. Do you know what, when you're waiting, you'll learn a lot. Learn a lot about yourself, a lot about God, a lot about people. He said, I've learned this through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. So my question is, what are you hoping for? 
a companion, a job, a healing, a dream, to be fulfilled, a child, a miracle, a family. I dare you, church. Don't lose hope. I dare you to hope this year in 2024 for something greater than you've ever experienced. I dare you to believe God for immeasurably more, Ephesians 3.20. I dare you to believe that there is nothing impossible for God. I dare you to just put your faith and your trust in him for the miracle, for the healing. Maybe it's even someone at your workplace, you find out they're dealing with a diagnosis. I dare you to hope, just say, hey, would you mind if I pray for you? Pray for healing. I dare you to stir up your faith this year and to believe God for the supernatural. Finally is this, I wanna, I wanna pray this over. This is my hope for you. I wrote this down in my journal, Ephesians 1. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, that's revelation, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Think about that. He is your portion. He is your inheritance. You are his portion. You are his inheritance. That's so good. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. See, here's how we can have hope. Hope is not built on the strength of your desire. Hope is built on the reality of the faithfulness and power of God. He says, I pray that you'd have that revelation, that you'd understand the greatness of God's power for us who believe this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen, you know why you can have hope? It's because you have an omnipotent God that has a powerful, powerful thing that he can do no matter what it may be in your life. If he could raise Jesus Christ from the dead by his spirit, what can he not do in your life? And we can have hope in that, amen? I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray for you. I want to, I want to do something a little bit different today in just the remaining time that we have before our campus pastors come up. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to think about that thing or those things that you're hoping for this year. Maybe that you were hoping for last year. Maybe it's something you're facing that feels completely hopeless. The Bible says that Jesus, he provides us an anchor, hope as an anchor for our souls. Jesus does that. He can give that to us. He gives us hope. He gives us the grace and the strength, the truths to anchor our life into him. Today, if you say, Jason, I need an, a fresh infusion of hope because I feel like I'm losing hope, whatever that may be. Maybe you feel like you're in a hopeless situation and you need hope today. Here, I want you to, this is, this is gonna take a little bit of courage. I want you to do this. I'm not gonna ask you to come down to the front, but at all of our campuses, I want you to do this. If you say, today, I, need, I needed this message and I need hope, I want you to stand up on your feet right now. Just stand up. If you're facing a hopeless situation, maybe something that seems uncertain, maybe something you're just like, man, I, I need God. I, I'm desperate for the Lord. Maybe you're, maybe you're just saying, I, I, I had something that I gave up on years ago, but I wanna, I wanna bring that thing back. Choose to believe, choose hope. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Will you just infuse hope and inspire hope in our hearts? We open up our hearts, we open up our mind. Forgive us when we've doubted, forgive us when we've not believed and we've not trusted. God, we come before you now and we say, we choose to hope in you because you're faithful. 
because you're powerful, because you're greater than anything that we could ever face. And I want you to do this as you're standing there with your head bowed, your eyes closed, just, just, just be really still for a moment. If you're seated by someone that's standing, I really sense we were supposed to do this, just for 60 seconds. If you're seated by someone that's standing, I want you to in an appropriate way, would you put a hand on their shoulder? As the body of Christ, we're gonna pray for one another. This is kind of the altar moment. We're gonna minister to one another for one moment. Will you just put your hand on their shoulder in 60 seconds? You may know them, you may not know them. Make sure that every person has someone that's praying for them. Scriptures say for us to pray for one another, to stand with one another, to hope with one another. Once you begin to pray for them, whatever the Lord, however the Holy Spirit leads you, just begin to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Minister. Give hope. Build faith right now for the marriage to be restored for the pregnancy, for the job, Lord, for the healing. Right now, Holy Spirit, just begin to minister. God may even listen, you may be standing by someone, the Holy Spirit may give you a word that may be a word of encouragement that would build up, that would edify. You can share that with them or share it after service. If it would build them up, if it would encourage their hope, I want you to share it with them. Holy Spirit, we thank you right now. We love you. We worship you. We thank you that you are the fountain of our hope. And so we look to you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Campus pastors, I wanna invite you to come back up. Hey church, I love you so much. God bless you.